Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today we'll be finishing up this chapter. The people in the Corinthian church had written the Apostle Paul a letter with many questions. The first letter to the Corinthians is Paul's answer to those questions. The longest section in this letter is the one we're in now. It's three chapters. Why would Paul devote three chapters to answering their one particular question about spiritual gifts? Well, simply because their misunderstanding about the spiritual gifts that God had given them were tearing their church apart. This was especially apparent in their chaotic worship services and spilled over into their relationships in the church and therefore their spiritual lives in general. This three-chapter answer addressing the Corinthians' question is really quite fascinating. It is easily misunderstood if we only look at little pieces of it in order to confirm some preconceived ideas that we may have about the hot-button issue of certain spiritual gifts. This is why we've got to pay close attention to the way that Paul answers this question. First, he lays out the foundation upon which the whole discussion has to stand, and that was, in the first part of chapter 12, that Jesus has to be known as your Lord, not just lip service. Secondly, he makes sure that we see the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts, services, and activities as being empowered in each believer by the one true same God for the common good of everyone in the body of Christ. And thirdly, he emphasizes that it is the same Holy Spirit who distributes the spiritual gifts to each believer as he wills or as he determines. We don't get to choose and pick. Remember the first one? He's Lord, we aren't. And fourth, he uses the metaphor of the human body to do something very special, and that's illustrate by its individual parts how the body of Christ, the church, is supposed to function and relate to one another. Individual parts, members with different gifts, united together in the one body that there may be no division in the body, he says in verse 25, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And today we see a fifth way that Paul answers this question. He reiterates the sovereignty in calling and appointing people to offices in his church, as well as God's sovereignty in giving spiritual gifts to his people emphasizing that our desire should be to use the gift or gifts that he's given us for the encouragement or equipping or building up of the other people in the church. All of this so far is only in chapter 12. Next week when we get to chapter 13, 
Paul will show us what the more excellent way is. He ends this chapter with what that is as far as how it functions in the church. And it's not possible unless we first correct our views of the purpose of the spiritual gifts and who we are in the body of Christ. In other words, the way he answers this question in the time that we spent on this question in chapter 12 Several weeks is very important. You miss everything if you go, well, what about this gift? And we go to one verse and we look at that and we don't look at anything else before or after it. That narrows the view so much that it leads us into many, many confusing misunderstandings. Finally, we get to chapter 14 after all of this where Paul can speak pointedly to the excesses of their worship service is and deal in the details of how off they really were in their understanding. But he can only do that if he builds upon the foundation he's already laid. That has to be the basis for their understanding and correction. So if you are bordering on impatience, and wanting a detailed explanation of one particular gift that we've only been general about, you'll still have to wait till chapter 14. There's a reason. It'll look different after we get through the first two chapters answering this question. So if you're able, would you please stand as I read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 through 31 be reading from the English Standard Version. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Since the 60s and 70s, as in 1960s through the 1970s, this part of 1 Corinthians has a reputation for being very difficult to understand. The charismatic movement that whipped through America, especially in those two decades, used these three chapters of the New Testament to base much of their support for their Corinthian-like practices. I came of age during that time and spent, I don't know how many, countless hours trying to deal with it all. Many people are still being confused and finding themselves susceptible to teaching that encourages some form of what Paul is dealing with here. Those of you that got to see the American Gospel two-part 
presentation film here a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday nights, you got a very good, clear picture of what's going on and what has gone on. This teaching, the charismatic movement's teaching today, maintains that the manifestation of the gifts that were seen in the Corinthian church are normal and therefore still normative for the church today. Our goal is to help us understand from the text what these spiritual gifts actually entailed and also figure out what role they actually played in the apostolic churches. So that's one big goal. Well, let's start by keeping in mind what the purposes are for spiritual gifts. There's three main purposes for the spiritual gifts that we've already established, that Paul has already established. First is to confirm the preaching of the gospel. Miracles and healings especially suited this purpose. After Christ had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, the apostles received the Holy Spirit, and were empowered to proclaim who Jesus was and what he had accomplished. What's that? The gospel. In Acts 1.8 we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, just as Jesus had performed miracles and healings to confirm who he was, God in human flesh, and what he did, the apostles' own credentials for their roles as being the, those chosen by Jesus and given his authority to found his church with his message, those were also confirmed with accompanying miracles and healings in establishing the church. The second big purpose for the spiritual gifts is to equip each member for the encouragement and building up of others in the body of Christ. We've seen this over and over and over and over again. I wonder why. Spiritual gifts are not given for our own individual status, but to enable us to serve and build up one another. The third big purpose for the spiritual gifts is to enable a diverse group of believers to love one another because Christ loved us first. Chapter 13 is next. Spiritual gifts are not given, as we just said and we'll keep saying, for our own individual status, but to enable us to love one another. If we can just get that part right, be light years ahead. Because you need a purpose to love one another. And to realize that we love because Christ loved us. We are appointed to our various roles in the church by Christ himself. For his purpose, our common good, and for his glory. In other words, there's no such thing. Hear this, there is no such thing as a useless member of the church. And that's a direct quote from a pastor you've heard of. 
John Calvin. There is no such thing as a useless member of the church. The partial list of church offices and spiritual gifts we see in verses 28 and 29 here. Paul ends his metaphor of the human body in verse 27, again making plain there, the first verse in our passage today, that the body he's writing about is the body of Christ, the church united in Christ, made up of each of the people reading his letter. And beginning in verse 28, there's a list of some of the spiritual gifts, some of which are related to some of the offices in the church. In other words, this is a representative list. It's not exhaustive. And it includes some of the gifts and some of the church offices. Not all of the gifts and offices are mentioned here. First part of verse 28, we read, And God has appointed to the church first apostles, prophets, and teachers. Okay, so what is Paul doing here? Or why is Paul writing about this in this particular way? I think he's showing a connection between these offices, hear me, in the apostolic church and certain spiritual gifts. How so? Apostles were chosen and commissioned by Jesus himself to establish the churches after he ascended. The original 12 men seem to have been supplemented by others like Barnabas and James and Paul, often referred to as the apostolic circle. So when you consider what they did in founding the early churches, you see that much of their work involved guarding the gospel that they'd received from Jesus. Guarding it. They were among those who had been eyewitnesses to Jesus' bodily resurrection. Paul was a little later witness of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and he talks about that. Now, when these men began to die off, why am I pausing? There were gifts of healings active. Isn't it strange that people still died off? When these men begin to die off, the big point to remember is that they did not ordain or appoint new apostles, ever. There were no more apostles. Instead, as they planted churches, who did they ordain? Ministers, elders, and deacons. And that's the transition that we see. In other words, as the apostles died off, what was accomplished and passed down was what? Their doctrine, not their office. That's the main difference that we see going off into left field with the Catholic Church. The doctrine was what was passed on, not the office. No more apostles, 
but there was a continuity of doctrine which remained. Now, the next office we see are prophets. This is a lot harder to nail down, and there's much argument about what this actually means. We think of Old Testament prophets as always predicting something in the future, most of us. That's probably your first thought. But, in fact, most of what we read are God's announcements and warnings from the Old Testament prophets to Israel to repent for their idolatrous practices. That's what they did most. Most of what is predicted in the future are occasions of pointing forward to someone. Who? The coming Messiah. To the coming Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, New Testament era prophets in the church were called to proclaim God's word as the Holy Scriptures were in the process of being completed. This book had not been completed when these guys were alive. So much of what they did was to proclaim God's word and put this book together, is a general way to say it. They were enabled by the Holy Spirit to point which direction? They were pointing backwards to find Christ in the Old Testament books. A great need for an infant church that started to be comprised mostly of Gentiles who had no clue what was in the Old Testament. And we've got to see how great a need that was for the early church. So that's a big, huge part of what the New Testament era prophets were in the early church. And it seems like they were like Old Testament prophets gifted with great boldness to proclaim Christ crucified in the face of what we can only call fierce persecution and hostility. That is all important to realize. And it gives you a hopeful, uh, hopefully a helpful way to think. I know all the questions aren't answered there, um, probably as definitively as you, as you would like. But that covers the main base that we can uh, go further on. Then there's, there's the teacher. The teacher was closely related to the prophet. The distinction is really hard to qualify, but probably has to do with engaging more in the instruction in doctrine which had been passed down, and that was their job, guarding it, and refuting the claims of all the heresies, which you see all through the New Testament in these letters. Every time you see doctrine explained in a New Testament letter, usually it's because of somebody's wrong idea and teaching first. And so they're dealing with it, and as a result, we have this divinely inspired book that gives us an overview dealing with every main heresy known to man since the beginning, which is a great treasure, we know. Now, one possible example of the difference between a teacher and an apostle or a prophet, 
excuse me, prophet especially, was the difference between Apollos and Paul. Apollos was a very capable teacher. Paul, besides being apostle, also was prophet. And you see this, these distinctions carried on. Now, in the last part of verse 28, Paul changes over. And people have argued for centuries about why is this changeover right here in the middle of this text. Change over to what? Well, he changes over to a, couple, to a, a shorter list of particular spiritual gifts. And the first two are then miracles and healings. Miracles are acts of God that are contrary to the ordinary working and laws of nature. Acts that only God could accomplish by overruling nature and couldn't happen by any other means or circumstances. We all know if you're blessed to see uh, the birth of a child, it's a miracle. Technically, it's not. The miracles that are here are outside of the bounds of the laws of nature. Yes, it is a miracle in the sense that you don't know how to describe it. So keep doing that. None of us are going to get crazy about the definition on that one. But we must understand that when we're talking this, miracles are contrary to the ordinary working and laws of nature. That's the kind Jesus did. Food out of nothing. Just go through the list. And this is what the apostles also were gifted with, not like Jesus, but still enough that people said, where did this power come from? This is not what normal. This is not according to nature. What is going on? Healings target the many different kinds of afflictions that we all should be aware of in our world. Jesus worked miracles and healings often, so much so, that what happened? The crowds got so huge that they wanted to make him king right then and there and use his power to get rid of the Romans, especially. Not for the reason he came, which is why he kept sneaking off or trying to um, and staying ahead of that. In fact, at one point, on his way back to Jerusalem where he knew he would be on the cross, the crowds were so huge and were following him and getting and de- making demands because he was exercising these gifts powerfully that he knew, and he actually says this in the Gospels, he knew what their intentions were and that they were trying to keep him from actually doing what he came to do which is being arrested, going to the cross, and bearing the sin of those he came to save. These works that he did, did confirm his deity. But even then, many people turned away. And as I just explained, it also showed that way too many, most of the people, wanted a Savior who would heal their diseases and be powerful enough to get rid of the hated Romans. Has anything changed? Most people do not think they need a Savior to deal with their sin 
in order to make them right with God. They just want to ride the coattails of someone who has the power to do what they want him to do. And nothing's changed in that regard. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, we read this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. wonder how many, many other is. Which are not written in this book, John says, but these are written, the ones I've shared, written down here, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The scripture is sufficient with any evidence you ever want to talk about in order to prove or confirm that he is who he claimed to be. And next on the list here, we have gifts of helping and administrating. Helping includes many of the serving, comforting, encouraging kind of gifts that are delineated in more detail in other passages. And what do these gifts do? These kind of gifts open our eyes to the beauty of the ways that God encourages and ministers to us through how? the caring of other believers. This would also include an office. Which one? Especially. Deacon. That's what the word means. Ministering, serving. Administration or administrating includes those who help govern the church as well as others who have a way of organizing different things. Why is there a need for this gift? Because most of us are not organized at all. And this is so that the rest of us can accomplish something and get done what God has called us to do. What office in the New Testament church is this especially tied to? Elders. Shepherds. Are you seeing a picture emerge here? Slowly, it's coming into focus. It looks like Paul may be thinking of the actual church officers who served in this Corinthian church early in the first century. There's a mixture of the transitioning offices and gifts needed to found the church. And then the offices and gifts emerging for the church that will continue on. There's a mixture here. The last gift mentioned, various kinds of tongues, which had caused so many problems in this church. He spends almost a whole chapter trying to get it straight in 14. Notice that this shows up where in this list? Dead last for a reason. Here's one statement from chapter 14 that will help sum up and give you a taste of where Paul's going. In chapter 14, verse 19, Paul's going to say, In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. No pun intended, but that should keep us quiet for a while. 
Paul has a purpose. He didn't just accidentally forget tongues because that's the one everybody wanted. And in many circles today, that has not changed. He purposefully always puts it last. In verses 29 and 30, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. And I'm going to ask for some audience participation. Don't worry, all you need to know is one word. Are all apostles? No. A little louder. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all working miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. See what he just did? Most of our questions about particular gifts are answered right there. The gifts of the Spirit are distributed to various individuals throughout the body for the greater good of the whole body. In any Christian group, church, person, ministry that claims that everyone should speak in tongues, they're off before you don't even need to bother. That's not the real thing. Do you all speak in tongues? The rhetorical question, the answer is specific. It's no. So, they're, they're given for the greater good of the whole body. Your gift is yours so that you can build up the whole body. That should be encouraging. No matter what God has chosen to give you as one of his spiritual gifts. It's important. The body needs you to exercise it. A lot of times we are exercising our gifts before we even probably know what they are or what it is. Now, Paul can say something next. He says something now in the text that should be so much more meaningful than when we began. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So first, what is Paul saying here in the first part of this verse? And it's not what we think at first. He's not saying that you should desire the most visible and unique spiritual gifts that was one of their biggest issues, born out of their selfish desires to be prominent in the church and be more respected and to look cool or powerful or to exercise authority over people. All wrong motives. We've already learned how God distributes his grace gifts as he knows best. And they're suited especially for each one of us the way he made us so that we can serve others in the body and be a blessing. Each person and their God-given gift or gifts are indispensable to the whole body, which Paul has already said earlier in this chapter. In other words, you don't have an excuse to run from it or to be a lone ranger. God has gifted you, if you belong to him, to be a blessing to the body. 
So what is he saying? Simply that your desire should be to use your gift or gifts for the benefit of others in the church. And you should be willing to receive whatever gift that God has for you if you're not sure what it is. In other words, it's not like, I'm afraid of doing this or blah, 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 so don't give me that one. It should be, Lord, if I mean what I just said using that word, if you are my Lord, you know me. You created me. You have a purpose for me in the body of Christ. So whatever gift you give me, I'm very grateful that you want to use me in that way in the body, whether it's behind the scenes or in between or the few that are up front, however you want. Why? Because your gift or gifts will build up the body of Christ. And I know that's hard to swallow for some some people, but this is what he's saying. I'm just a little messenger reading the text, basically. It's a beautiful picture. And what about this, I will show you a still more excellent way? What is that? This is his intro to the next chapter, where he starts off and he says things, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words... I'm just like something that irritates everybody. So what is the more excellent way? Is to focus upon the love that we're to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we do that, your gifts will become apparent. People will be blessed and maybe you'll even figure it out. That's how it's supposed to work. And this is a love which the Holy Spirit creates in our hearts. We just happened to be on a section in 1 John, the men's study this morning, that was exactly about a huge part of this. About loving one another. And that we love because he first loved us. What this does is it, it makes me it makes me answer the question of, is he really my Lord? Or have I got a plan for my life that doesn't have a page six with him in it? It's a good question. It humbles us, and we continually need to be humbled. Would you please bow with me as we pray? Oh, Lord, we, again, as we finish chapter 12 here, you're opening our eyes to the much greater picture of the body of Christ than maybe we've ever learned or imagined or known. Lord, we, we are so grateful that you have sent your son to save us completely, all our sins are forgiven. We're united in him. And Lord, that should make us um, 
have a, a huge sigh of relief as we realize the question is not how we perform for you to earn credits, but the question is, do we realize what you've done for us and how you've changed our hearts and that the way we interact and the way you call us to serve one another in the body is your plan, it's your desire, it's your way of bringing glory to yourself and it's your way for helping us be able to experience what real love is amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, we, we pray that as was written, that they, meaning the world around us, will know we're Christians by our love. The strict scene depicted there is by the way we love one another first. And we do that because we hopefully love and want to serve you, hunger for you and your word, and for being able to be used to build up those in the body around us. What a great calling. What a great purpose to have in a world that's so self-focused and so busy and so not alive. Our life is in Christ, and that is true living. And we pray that we would grow in our knowledge of how you've gifted us so that we can serve one another better, that we'd sharpen each other, that we'd have a hunger and a desire that we've been talking about to, to worship you, to love you, to see how your purpose for us fits in this place. And we ask all that knowing that you're in the process of working these things out amongst us even now. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. You're dismissed.